And it's another week. This is Andrew Wood, Executive Director of Hope Resource Center. Thank you so much for tuning in, whether that be live over at Joy620, or you're listening to the podcast at investinghope.com, Google Play, iTunes, Spotify, wherever podcasts are found, you can find this show. We have a lot to talk about today. A lot of things going on around the country when it comes to life and abortion. Uh, a lot of misinformation, a lot of nonsense, a lot of... Uh, uh, People making up things, politicians just saying things, and people around them just nodding their head in agreement, even though it's nonsense and uh, anti-science and anti-gospel and anti-everything else. We have uh, an interesting partnership, uh, an interesting uh, f- a group of folks holding hands and coming together, al- allying themselves, allying themselves with each other, and that is big oil and the abortion industry. Didn't think you would you would see that. Uh, you know, we are we are at an interesting time as a society and as a culture where uh, things are, are, are being said and done that make zero sense. Uh, partnerships are being forged that make zero sense. Uh, yet here we are. And so I'm going to walk you through it uh, as I do every single week because I want to bring some clarity to these uh, scenarios and situations. But let's start with... Uh, an article over at Reuters, uh, and listen to this headline, How Texas's Abortion Ban Hurts Big Oil's Efforts to Transform Its Workforce. Now, the, the liberal left, the pro-abortion side of the spectrum, hate big oil. Right. I mean, you know, you have you have California saying by 2035, no more selling new cars that are gasoline engines. They have to be electric cars. Now, of course, they're, they're also going to tell you to unplug those cars when the, the grid gets bogged down. You, you, have, you have these, these folks like AOC saying the Green New Deal, big oil is big oil's bad, we can't frack, we don't need to have... You know, when, when, uh, in the previous administration, we were energy independent in America. That's all gone out the window. You've seen the gas prices over the last year or so skyrocket. We're now dependent on other countries for oil. We just saw a pipeline exploded uh, in Russia. We're not going to get into that, but that's a whole other thing. Uh, winter is coming, and uh, it's concerning what that means around the globe. But yet, here's this article saying that big oil needs abortion, and abortion needs big oil. As Texas officials moved to restrict abortion, promote Christianity in schools, and the state's power grid teetered on collapse, oil worker Stephen Beeman and his wife Haley Hollins decided it was time to live elsewhere. By April, Beeman had joined a communications firm in Colorado, leaving behind a more than a decade-long career in oil and gas, and Hollins, an attorney, soon followed, forsaking the state over its increasingly strident politics and polarization. It is kind of the first time I've reckoned with the idea that I don't think I'm going to live in my home state ever again, said Hollins. She likened the climate contributing to the couple's decision to leave Texas to, quote, death by a thousand paper cuts, end quote. Oil companies have spent millions to counter the frayed image of fossil fuels and recruit a younger and more diverse workforce. But a flaring of political culture wars around abortion, religion, LGBT rights threatened to undo hiring and retention goals, according to interviews with more than two dozen workers and a national survey. 
Over half of women between 18 and 44 years and 45% of college-educated male and female workers would not consider a job in a state that banned abortion, according to a survey of 2,000, over 2,000 U.S. adults last month. BP, Chevron, ExxonMobil, Shell, and Total Energies did not comment on how abortion and culture wars are affecting their hiring and employee retention when asked by the author of this article. It has always been difficult to attract women into oil and gas, said Sherry Richard, a 40-year-old industry veteran, most recently human resources chief at the offshore driller um, TransOcean. When you create an environment that is unfriendly to women, it just makes it harder, she said. Richard, 66, who now sits on the boards of two oil-filled firms, said she does not plan to leave the state, but would support her son and his family if they moved. The business risk to recruiting is especially high for oil companies. Already unpopular with graduates of engineering programs, said Jonas Cron, chief advocacy officer of Trillium Asset Management, the Boston-based firm which oversees $5.4 billion in investments outside of oil, is asking companies to take action to minimize the financial losses of a limited workforce. Lack of diversity is not only a problem to financial performance, which they are acutely aware of, but also one of the company values, Cron said. Some California members of the Society of Women Engineers have declined to attend the group's conference in Houston in October because of the state's anti-abortion law, which bans abortions uh, after six weeks. The only exception is when a doctor certifies the mother's life is in immediate danger. And the article goes on and on. It says, Texas Governor Greg Abbott has acknowledged the state is losing workers but does not regret regret the departures. We have an exchange program going on, Abbott said in August at a conservative political gathering. We are getting California conservatives. We are sending them our liberals. The five top oil majors have said they support travel for health treatments by employees in different states, but none named abortion in their responses, nor disclosed whether there is an internal guidance for abortion care, a concern for employees who have to administer the policies. The rules are not clear, said Texas engineer, who also does recruiting for an U.S oil major in Houston and declined to be named. Will an employee have to tell her manager the reason of the trip, for instance? I've asked for clarity but received no reply. Some workers want their employers to take a stand on abortion. Companies say they value employees' rights and yet finance politicians who violate my rights and well-being, said a 45-year-old engineer at Oilfield Service from Halliburton who declined to be identified, fearing reprimands. This is hypocrisy, she said. Look, I could go on and on, but but look, it, it's it's all about having your cake and eat it too. So so they don't want they want businesses to kowtow to their preferences, but then they and they want businesses to speak out on political issues, but they don't want these businesses to speak out on political issues if they disagree with them. They want states to to engage and. And do all of these things only and only if those states agree with them. And, and, and then it's living in this hypothetical land. Well, I just want to know that I can get an abortion, you know. I mean, I, I don't need one right now, but I just want to know that I can get one. And then, of course, big business. You know, it's interesting. Big business and, and the... The abortion industry now holding hands. Why is that? Well, if if I'm a big business and I don't have 
a dog in the fight and I'm not pushing a value system. I'm just pushing my bottom dollar and, and how much revenue I can generate. Then, yeah, I'd much rather pay $4,000 or $8,000 to have my employee fly somewhere to take the life of her unborn child and then get her back to work the next week. Get back in your cubicle and do your job. No, it, it's, it's a much harder commitment to say, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you maternity leave for a few months. It's a much harder commitment to say, I'm going to provide child care for your child. I'm going to provide an environment that allows you to be the mom you need to be, that allows you to be the dad you need to be. You see, that's much harder to do. It costs more money. They would much rather pay 8000 4000 up front and then get you back in your cubicle the next week, get you back to work in 60, 70 hours a week. And the left and the abortion industry is celebrating this as some kind of women's empowerment. No, no, it's not. You see, what, what, what we all should be fighting for is environments that create uh, or, or, or that, that foster family atmospheres. More maternity leave, child care when needed, allowing moms and dads to go to the ball game, to go pick up their child from school. But instead... These companies are being celebrated for paying to send their employees out of state to end the life of their child so that they can be back to work next week. That's not women's empowerment, folks. That's not employee empowerment. And so, and so what we have to do is recognize this. So when we see what's happening here, we need to call it out. Look, I'm a capitalist through and through. But when nonsense happens because of capitalism, when nonsense happens because big business would much rather have you in the life of your child in the womb and get back to work than provide you maternity leave or provide you resources that are going to allow you to be the mom you need to be, I'm going to call that out because I don't stand for that. And it's interesting to me the very ones that are calling for socialism, the very ones that are calling for abortion no matter what throughout the entire pregnancy are the very ones now saying, hey, we need, to, we need these oil giants to fight for our right to end the life of our child so that we can work more. What are we doing? That's not feminism. It's not celebrating a value system. It's not empowering women. It's not empowering men. And so when, when we see things like this, we need to call it out. And, and they're, look, they're drawing, they're, uh, they're making a big stretch here. Notice that none of the big oil companies would be interviewed for this. But, but the, the headline of the article is, Big Oil Needs Abortion. Really? That's, that's what we need? Big Oil Needs Abortion? I mean, come on. We have to be better than this. We have to be. 
And so, so as I'm reading things like this, as I'm reading about company after company saying, yeah, we're going to pay for our employees to go get abortions in other states. Yeah, yeah, we're not going to travel. You know, you, you see state government saying we're not going to allow our state employees to travel to Tennessee because they've outlawed abortion. So they can't go to Tennessee for own state business. You know, California is now saying, hey, come one, come all, come get your abortion in our state. Our taxpayers will pay for it. California now saying, come one, come all, minors included, come and get your double mastectomy so that you can be reassigned a gender. Who cares what your parents say? You know what's best when you're 14 and 15. Run away from home. Come see us in California. We'll, we'll take you in. We'll mutilate your body. And, and we're just supposed to sit back and go, yeah, well, that's, you know, that's part of it. No. No, we, we speak the truth, unapologetically so. And when it comes to the, the interesting thing, look, if, if I'm, again, if every now and then I'll put on a political consulting hat on this show. If I'm putting on my political consulting hat, if I am consulting conservatives right now, I am, I am begging them to get in the family lane. And what do I mean by that? I'm begging them to campaign on fostering environments that will celebrate family. Fostering environments that celebrate traditional nuclear family. Fostering environments that allow dads to be dads and moms to be moms. Finding resources that are going to help parents. Finding resources that are going to help with child care. Finding resources that are going to help with maternity leave. Like that lane is wide open. Now we've seen some of that. Mitt Romney, Marco Rubio. We, we've seen some folks try to say, look, we need to do more when it comes to family leave. We need to do more when it comes to fostering environments where, where parents can be parents. But I need it unapologetic, up front and center on the platform. That's what we need. We need to let young ladies know you can have your baby and your dreams. You can go work for big oil and be a mom. You can go work and do anything you want and be a mom. We've proven that over and over and over and over, but yet we, we struggle to message that to the, to the people. So be unapologetic in your celebration of family. Be unapologetic in your celebration of children. Be unapologetic when you stand for them. We have an opportunity. The question is, will they make the most of that opportunity? We'll be back. Thank you, Lord, for the small things like me and her on a porch swing. The summer nights. Mm, that's good stuff. Thomas Rhett. So as, as we think through what's happening around our society, uh, in recent days, we have seen politicians say things that are just, uh, I mean, there's not even a thread of truth in, in what they're saying. So the other day, Stacey Abrams, who is running for governor of the state of Georgia now. Now, the interesting thing is Stacey Abrams believes that she already is governor of Georgia. You know, it's interesting when we talk about elections being stolen or refusing to admit that you lost an election. Stacey Abrams has still not admitted that she lost the election a few years back. 
But, of course, we don't talk about that because she's, you know, she has favor with the media. But I digress. She's, she's running for governor at the moment. She's losing in the polls. She's going to lose. Uh, there's nothing, you know, that, it, that, um, that I enjoy more than seeing uh, a politician like, like that lose over and over again. But, but she's going to lose. But she was on stage the other day at a, at a campaign event. And she said, you know, pro-lifers believe that, that, you know, what they believe and they're extremists. And she says, there is no heartbeat at six weeks. This is what she said. She said, that is a manufactured sound created by men to control women's bodies. I'm not making that up, folks. That, that is what she said. So it's one thing to say it's not a heartbeat. And I'm going to get into that here in a second. But, but I've never heard anyone say it's a manufactured sound created by men in order to control women's bodies. Like that is a whole nother level of uh, nonsense that I just didn't see coming. I, I mean, that, there's been a lot of nonsense. And I was kind of like, yeah, I was expecting that. This was like, uh, so, so the manufactured sound of a heartbeat was created by men to control women's bodies. And if that wasn't enough, she said that. And there were like six people sitting around her. So she's sitting in the middle, and then there's, I don't know, three on each side of her or something like that. So there's a number of people on stage. And as she's saying this, the people around her are nodding their head in agreement. Do you believe that? No one was sitting there going, what is this woman saying? This is crazy. No, they were nodding with her in agreement. But it's not just Stacey Abrams. It's not just these made-up things that they say. It's Planned Parenthood. It's uh, journalists. It's the AP. It's Reuters. It's all of these organizations, New York Times, Washington Post. They're just changing language and not telling you about it. Now, we've talked about it on this show. We've talked about it for, for over a year. That, that they stopped calling it a heartbeat, and now they're calling it cardiac activity. They stopped calling it a heartbeat. Why? Because even though they believed it was a heartbeat, even though the medical journals for decades have said that it is a heartbeat, hey, we're, we're humanizing this, and, and we need to stop with that. It's cardiac activity. We, we can't say that it's a heartbeat. So listen to this. After years of publishing on its website that a five to six weeks of pregnancy, this is what Planned Parenthood used to say on their website. A very basic beating heart and circulatory system develop. Planned Parenthood has now decided it really doesn't. Now they say on their website, it sounds like a heartbeat on an ultrasound, but it's not a fully formed heart. That is what they say. So up until five minutes ago on their website, they said a very basic beating heart and circulatory system develop at weeks five to six. You go to their website now, it says it sounds like a heartbeat on an ultrasound, but it's not fully formed heart. It's the earliest stage of the heart developing. The change happened sometime in the past two months after the Supreme Court's wrote decision. As of July 25th, 2022, an archive of the website shows the original wording. The rest of the page remains unchanged, and there's no note to indicate the update was made. The same page still notes that at seven to eight weeks, the heart has formed. Think about that, folks. 
Now, now this has been something that we've been watching. They've been saying that, that, hey, we need to dehumanize the fetus. That's their wording. So we can't say that it's a heartbeat. We have to say that, that it's cardiac activity, that it's the early stages of heart development. I mean, that's what, that's what we, that's what we have to say because if we say anything else, we're admitting that it's alive. We're admitting that it's alive. But the reality is we, we know what's happening. We, we know that it's a heart. Sure, it's in the early stages of development, but it's contracting inward and outward. It is beating. Early stages of development, that's just part of life. But it's still life. So my four-year-old is in early stage of development. She's going to continue to grow. Her legs will get longer. Her arms will get longer. Her, her torso will get longer. Her head. Everything will continue to grow. She'll learn more. She'll speak better. Baby teeth will fall out. Adult teeth will come in. This is part of development. As I stand here today, the same heart that's in my chest today was the same heart I had when I was five to six weeks in utero. It was the early stages of development, but it's the same heart. Same DNA. Same fingerprint. Like, we know that. So anyone that says, well, science isn't clear on whether life begins at conception. Yes, it is. We know that. If you go to embryo adoption right now, that is a fertilized egg that is implanted inside of a woman and then the development starts. We know that. If, if your friend reaches out to you today and says, hey, I'm pregnant. None of us go, man, I wonder what it's going to be. Hmm. Is she going to have a baby or what's going to happen? No, when, when our friends tell, them, tell us they're pregnant, no matter what stage, if they're five weeks or 15 weeks, we, we know without a doubt they are pregnant with a human baby. So, so anyone that would argue otherwise is just spouting nonsense. Anti-science nonsense, anti-gospel nonsense, anti-scripture nonsense. Because we know. Everyone knows. Everyone. And so, but, but it doesn't stop there with politicians. The other day on... A panel, you had a doctor from Planned Parenthood, and he was asked, can men have babies? So this is a medical professional who provides abortions, and he was asked, can men have babies? And he said, yes, especially trans men. Well, that's an interesting concept. But, but I'm, I'm called anti-science. Because I say life begins at conception, but that he can say that, that I could have a baby. And he's not called anti science. Hey, hey folks, I can't have a baby ever. It's never gonna happen. 
Ever. Ever. Never has happened, never will happen. Ever. But it doesn't stop there. Most recently, most recently we have the President of the United States. The President of the United States tweeting this. Now, do I think the President actually tweeted this? Of course not. But, but here's what the President, or at least his staff, tweeted as of late. He talked about his dad, and he said, My dad always said, My dad always said, don't compare me to the Almighty, compare me to the alternative. So I guess what he's saying is, don't compare me to God, compare me to the devil. And then he, then he follows that with, the Democrats want to codify Roe, and the Republicans want to end abortion. So I'm not sure, are we comparing him to the devil? Are we comparing this, like what are we doing here? That the, that the folks that want to err on the side of life are now the extremists, but the folks that want to end the lives of babies all the way up to nine months are just normal mainstream? Is that where we are today? We'll talk more about that when we come back. So as we continue the conversation, there's, there's been a number of things that have happened over the last few weeks that um, are of major concern, to say the least. Uh, one of those being, there was a pro-life activist that was had the FBI raid his home. Now, now think about that for a second. We we had a pro-life activist that had his home raided, and in front of his six kids. Guns were out. It was like a SWAT team. Now, we were told that, that there were no guns and there were no, nothing like that, but we now have video evidence that there, that there was. And, and so, what does that mean for our society? What does that mean? And so, I want to I give you some context of what happened. And this is over at the Heritage Foundation. But here it is. In an early morning raid last Friday in Pennsylvania, about two dozen, two dozen FBI agents with weapons drawn pounded on the door of Mark Huck's home where he lives with his wife and seven children. Now, we were told, oh, no, there was no guns drawn. This wasn't a, a raid. This wasn't SWAT style. But we have video evidence that people are with weapons and shields. They have Kevlar on. The FBI agents arrested Huck based on federal indictment. Sounds serious, right? So is Huck a domestic terrorist, an American jihadist, a dangerous militia member, a violent felon, or Someone with a prior history of violence toward law enforcement who would require such an overwhelming show of force? Not even close. He is a pro-life activist and president of the King's Men, a Catholic ministry. He has no prior criminal record. He was arrested Friday morning for an alleged violation of the Federal Freedom of Access to Clinic Entrances Act, known as the FACE Act. Again, sounds potentially serious, but 
Given the Obama-Biden administration's prior abuse of the FACE Act, as well as what we know already about the facts, we have serious reasons to doubt that this is a legitimate case and prudent use of federal law enforcement resources. More likely, it is a politically motivated abuse of federal law by both the FBI and the Justice Department. It is not a coincidence, we suspect, that this takedown of someone who, at best, committed a misdemeanor assault came almost exactly three months after the Supreme Court issues its decision in Dobbs. The FBI raid of the home was designed to send a warning to pro-life activists engaging in activities protected by the First Amendment. The FACE Act forbids physically obstructing, injuring, intimidating, or interfering with anyone obtaining or providing reproductive health services. But Congress specified that the FACE Act doesn't prohibit any expressive conduct, including peaceful picketing or other peaceful demonstration protected from legal prohibitions by the First Amendment to the Constitution, including the free speech or free exercise clauses occurring outside a facility. This gentleman apparently would regularly drive two hours from his home to a Planned Parenthood clinic in Philadelphia to pray and speak outside the facility, often taking his 12-year-old son with him. The federal indictment claims that almost a year ago, uh, this gentleman verbally confronted and shoved an escort for an abortion patient to the ground and intentionally injured, intimidated, and interfered with the escort. What the indictment fails to mention, says Huck's wife and a family spokesman, is that on multiple occasions, this pro-abortion escort said crude, inappropriate, and disgusting things to the son, such as your dad's, I'm not even going to say it, and other vulgar slurs. So he, this, this fella had his 12-year-old son with him, and another person confronted and said vulgar things to him. Hulk kept telling the escort to stop harassing his son, they say, but the escort refused to stop, and when the foul-mouthed vulgarian got too close to his son, Hulk protected him by shoving the escort away. The escort fell down, but according to Huck's family, the only injury he suffered required a Band-Aid on his finger. The incident occurred October of 2021, so a year ago. The assault claim against Huck is so weak that not only did Philadelphia District Attorney Larry Krasner refuse to file any misdemeanor charges against Huck, but the family says a civil lawsuit filed by the escort was thrown out of court. So you have a prosecutor that is not a friend to the pro-life community refusing to prosecute, and you have a civil lawsuit that was thrown out of court. So nothing, right? It should be over and done with. Now, almost a year later, the FBI shows up at the home in force, and the Justice Department charges him with two felonies for an injury that required a Band-Aid. His conviction could result, according to the Justice Department, a maximum penalty of 11 years of prison, three years of supervised release, and fines of up to $350,000. No doubt, Huck's defense attorney will explore any and all defenses, starting with whether the man shoved by Huck even falls within the obtaining or providing requirement of the federal statute. It also may be clear case of self-defense, since apparently the, the, the dad was simply defending his 12-year-old son from an adult. The fact is, the Justice Department under Democratic administrations has a history of misusing the FACE Act to go after abortion opponents. They've done this before. And so I could go further with this. But here's what I want to point out. Since the leaked draft of the Dobbs decision back sometime in May, over 
60 pro-life organizations, pregnancy centers, and other pro-life organizations have been attacked. They've had their windows graffitied, their porches graffitied. They've had their windows broken. They've had bombs thrown through their windows. They've, they've had their buildings catch on fire. In the DOJ, have we seen any arrest? Have we sent two dozen agents to the homes of those that would attack pro-life organizations? Have we seen that? We've had threats made to pregnancy centers and to pro-life folks. And what, what have we seen? Anything? Anything happen with that? Any movement at all on that? And so it's interesting to me that, that these things are happening, that we're seeing, you know, we gotta, we gotta move all, we gotta move heaven and earth to go after this pro-life dad that, that simply stepped in to protect his son. And, and look, even if he didn't protect his son, even if he was just mad because this other guy was, was spouting off vulgar comments to him and he shoved him down. Which, okay, let's say that that's not okay to do. Even in that scenario, if you have just a guy that's upset and he had a bad day and he shoved somebody down and they had to put a band-aid on their finger, does that warrant two dozen FBI agents coming to your home, putting guns on you in front of your children. Does it? Does it warrant that? You see, these are the questions that we must ask. These are the things that we must do. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy. It's going to, it's going to require some tough things. It's going to require hard work. It's going to require a lot. The question is, are we prepared to do something? Are we prepared to stand? Are we prepared to to engage, to have these conversations, to fight for what is right? I mean, they, these are the things that we have to talk about. Now, now some senators, some, some Congress people are stepping in and, and asking for answers. And they're hoping that we get to a place where, where we can have answers, where, where people are willing to, to do the hard things, where pro-lifers aren't seem to be targeted, but, but would seem to be protected by our Government, because after all, we have rights too, right? I mean, at least I thought we did. I thought we had rights. I thought pro-lifers would, would get as many rights as anyone else when we stand, when we do the right thing, when we stand for life. There's a piece over at the Daily Signal talking about uh, a conservative coalition with uh, – former Vice President Mike Pence, 
He's trying to get some answers on this. It's a leading conservative coalition in demanding Justice Department records about the ongoing attacks against pro-life organizations and whether the Justice Department is simply ignoring them. So in a Freedom of Information Act request, first obtained by the Daily Signal, Advancing American Freedom, Americans United for Life, Catholic Vote, Heritage Action for America, Susan B. Anthony, Pro-Life America, and a slew of other conservative organizations suggest the Justice Department is purposely failing to address these attacks. The Daily Signal is the news outlet of the Heritage Foundation. They said this, We have serious concerns that the work of DOJ is being inappropriately politicized as investigations into these acts of violence against organizations disfavored by the current administration are being slow-walked or outright ignored. The execution of justice requires fair and equal treatment under the law here, regardless of the current administration's sympathies. At least 73 pregnancy centers and organizations, as well as 83 Catholic churches, have been attacked since the infamous leak of the draft of Dobbs. Pro-life organizations, as I said earlier, have been threatened, buildings vandalized, firebombed. Yeah, what have we seen? Any arrests? Have, have you seen a news article about two dozen agents going to the home of the people that would seek to harm pro-life organizations? I haven't seen that news. We'll talk more when we come back. So as we finish up today, this is what these conservative groups, these pro-life groups are asking. It's not asking a lot. This is what they say. Our United States Constitution was established in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility. When violence against pro-life organizations goes unpunished, the commitment to a more perfect union is subverted. When investigations are delayed, justice is denied. And when Americans have to live in fear for exercising their First Amendment rights and advocating for pro-life principles, domestic tranquility is destabilized. Representative Jim Jordan of Ohio suggested to the Daily Signal earlier this week that the FBI's dramatic arrest of the pro-life advocate I just spoke about in the last segment is just a continuation of the Bureau's political nature, labeling everyone an extremist if you disagree with them. Look, when, when things happen, Regardless if it falls into your narrative or not, if you are the president of the United States, if you oversee the DOJ, all I would like to see, even if you're patting us on the head, a simple get in front of the cameras and say, we are not going to stand by while our neighbors are attacked, period. There's no room for violence. But instead, what you hear is, well, you know, we're looking into it. We can't comment on current investigations, which is just meaning we're, we're kicking the can down the road. Now, I'm not telling you these things to, so that you will live in fear. I, I, you shouldn't live in fear. I don't live in fear. I'm telling you these things to... Let us know kind of what time it is. I'm, I'm saying these things to you, and I'm saying these things behind the scenes to leaders in our state and leaders in our country 
some that are part of these pro-life organizations that are speaking out, some that are connected politically. I'm saying these things to you because people need to be held accountable. Period. And just because my opinion on life and abortion goes against this current administration's opinion on life and abortion doesn't mean that I have less rights to speak that opinion. And the the reality is, if you disagree with my opinion on life and abortion, you have every right to speak out on your opinion. But you don't have a right to throw things through the windows of pregnancy centers. You don't have the right to go and, and spray paint vulgar things on their buildings. You don't have the right to threaten physically with violence those that disagree with you. You do not have that right. But it does seem as if some decisions are being made in Washington that are elevating certain people's rights over and against others simply because we disagree politically. This is a dangerous place to be. And and people don't like to hear about the slippery slope. This is a slippery slope. And, and so at some point we we need to hold folks accountable. And now it's just interesting to me, a year has passed since that pro-life advocate had a a little minor altercation with someone outside of abortion clinic. And the prosecuting attorney in that area said there's not enough here to even make bring charges. And then a civil lawsuit was brought and no one thought that that would go. And so that was thrown out as well. And then a year later, after Dobbs happens and Roe is overturned, 24 agents show up at this man's house with guns in front of his seven children and his wife. And he's been arrested and charged. Is that that where we're at now? So I hope something comes of the Freedom of Information Act that was requested and the documents that are requested. I want to see emails. Do we have emails from DOJ where they're even talking about pregnancy centers being attacked? We've seen text messages and emails in the past where they make a mockery of citizens. Is that what we're going to find here? That they're literally and on purpose kicking the can down the road because it it involves pro-life organizations? I pray that's not the case. But we need to see the documentation. And then we need to respond and hold these folks accountable. We'll talk more next week.